you might be able to see both time and location about where guns are being fired most frequently. You have your top five streets, right? Okay. Hmm. And street there corners. That corners, precise. Street corners. Yep. And time too. It's just not street corners, but street corners between the hours of Thursday, 8 p.m. and Saturday, 2 a.m. Welcome Getting There fans, I'm your host Alejandro Garcia Maya. Counting murders and suicides, nearly 40,000 people died of gun-related violence in the U.S. in 2017. That's the highest annual total in decades. Can we create a safer America when only 20% of gun-related incidents are reported to the police on average? On today's show, we welcome Ralph Clark, the CEO of ShotSpotter, a platform using an acoustic technology that helps detect, locate, and alert local police of real-time gunshot incidents all within a span of 60 seconds. In this episode, Ralph answers a number of questions such as, why are only 20% of gun-related incidents reported? What communities are most affected by this? How accurate is this technology and how can it impact our everyday lives? And much more. Join us in our conversation. Let's dive in. What did you study and what were those first jobs? I studied economics at University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. And then my first job out of college was working at IBM in Seattle, where I sold mainframe systems on the Boeing team. I was on the Boeing account. Wow. After IBM, I attended uh, Harvard Business School, where I got an MBA, which is what took us to Boston for two years. And then my first job uh, business school was uh, working on Wall Street as an investment banker with Goldman Sachs. A lot of different uh, experiences there. Is there a lesson you hold dear from your parents or closest mentors? Being resilient and working hard and being creative and resourceful are uh, themes that I take away from watching my mother uh, raise us, who was a single parent for a number of years. Mm. My mom had uh, my sister and I as a, a single parent before ultimately uh, marry my stepdad uh, when I was about 10 years old. Wow. An incredibly uh, resilient and hardworking person. So before learning more about Shot Spotter, I'm going to share a couple of facts and you are welcome to add or share your thoughts on them if you like. Okay. So here's the first one. According to Pew Research Study, the United States ranks 20th in gun fatality rate. We are worse than most EU countries, but better off than a number of Latin American countries. For me, seeing that we were 20th in gun fatality rate, that was actually quite a surprise. Somehow I felt it would be even higher up in the list. Yeah, uh, so that's not inconsistent. Imagine these are per capita numbers. That would only make sense if they're per yes. capita. But I think if you go to places like Brazil and Mexico and certain Central American countries, I mean, they obviously suffer a lot of horrific... Honduras, Nicaragua, yeah. Yeah, they suffer a lot of gun violence, at least the homicides. I imagine these are homicides as opposed to GSWs, gunshot wound victims. Here's another one. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, also known as CDC, in 2017, 60% of gun-related deaths in the U.S. were suicides, while 37% were murders and the remainder were unintentional, involved law enforcement, and undetermined circumstances. 
again, I did not know that that's a very common fact that a majority of murders are suicides. Yeah, the two-thirds, one-third numbers or statistic is something we're fairly familiar with. Those are still very big numbers. According to ShotSpotter, police rely on the community to call 911 if gunshots are fired, but only 20% of incidents are ever reported on average. Yeah, I would say 10 to 20% of incidents of gunfire get reported and the other 80 to 90% go unreported. And that's actually a statistic that came out of Brookings Institute that we use a lot to help police understand that they have a much bigger problem than what they might typically realize. So here's what I would say about gun violence in a very simple structure. Guns are fired much more frequently than that which results in either a homicide or a gunshot wound victim. The vast majority of those gunshot events go unreported. Those gunfire incidents are driven by very, very few individuals. So 5% of the actors can create 80% of the activations or gunfire incidents, which makes this a very solvable problem because you can know the areas that guns are being fired and you just have to focus your resources on the very few individuals that drive most of the gun violence problem to be able to prevent and reduce it. And sadly, with this whole circle of violence, what takes place in a lot of these urban communities is gun violence becomes normalized and the legitimacy and trust that communities have in police departments uh, become highly diluted. When guns are fired frequently, they don't call, police don't respond. It just sets up a cycle of uh, violence normalization that creates all manner of very bad outcomes. What is ShotSpotter? So ShotSpotter is an acoustic gunshot uh, detection and surveillance technology that uses sensors to be able to detect and pinpoint incidents of gunfire and produce a digital alert in real time that police departments can use to be able to respond to, investigate, and ultimately prevent and reduce gun violence. And we'll jump a bit more into what that process actually looks like. I'm Mm -hmm. curious, before going that route, what spurred the idea? The technology was founded by Dr. Bob Schoen about 20 years ago. He was a research scientist at a place called Stanford Research Institute. He's known as the father of using math to figure out the epicenter of things like earthquakes and things like that. And he had the brilliant idea that he could apply those same math principles acoustically. And because in addition to being quite a brilliant mathematician and scientist, he's also an incredibly beautiful human being. He saw an issue of unreported gun violence. He decided to take his talents and leave Stanford Research Institute and prove his principle that he could apply acoustically the same math principles to be able to detect, locate, and alert on outdoor gunfire. And so it's a classic Silicon Valley story where he left his business. He hoodwinked a couple of uh, PhDs from MIT mathematicians to help him develop a couple of prototypes. And they built uh, several prototypes proving that, in fact, they could do this before five years down the road, they got venture capital to expand and grow the business. And so we are where we are because of Dr. Bob Schoen having this brilliant insight and uh, passion to go fix the gun violence problem uh, 20 years ago. Wow. What is your mission? Our mission is to equip police departments to be much more accountable to and responsive to incidents of gunfire in basically uh, disrupt the cycle of violence, denormalize violence, and build trusted relationships with communities. And it starts with them tactically focusing their resources on responding to these gunfire events and the very few shooters that are driving most of the gun violence problem. But ultimately, over the long term, they're providing public safety equity to these at-risk underserved communities that don't probably get their fair share 
of policing resources around the very difficult issue of gun violence. And in the process of doing that, they begin to be much more uh, trusted by the community, which makes their jobs of providing public safety outcomes much more effective, easier to obtain. Did you have any personal experiences that go back to this particular problem? No, I mean, other than kind of growing up in East Oakland, where I saw the issues of violence, I've never witnessed, thankfully, a actual uh, shooting event. But I am familiar with the idea of what it feels like to live in unsafe neighborhoods that don't see their amount of policing resources showing up in the right way to help protect the vast majority of people that are trying to live in these communities. Again, it's only very few individuals that drive most of the gun violence problem. And so what's really important is for police departments to show up in service to these communities and focus their law enforcement intervention on the few individuals that drive the problem. This isn't about policing communities. This is about serving communities and policing the very few criminals that drive the gun violence problem. So in terms of how it actually works, what it actually took to install it and what that even looks like. Our technology starts with sensors. Uh, These sensors are basically very small computers that are designed to live outdoors and they're designed to ignore ambient noise but recognize impulsive noises like pops, booms, and bangs. And one of the things that they do when they recognize that pop, boom, or bang is they timestamp it. So now imagine, if you will, what makes our solution very unique is we're using multiple sensors that collaborate with one another to be able to pinpoint the exact location of a pop, boom, or bang event. We'll typically deploy about 20 or so sensors per square mile. We light them up high. They like relative height so they can hear out over the horizon. So You'll see these often installed on rooftops, although you might not physically see them because we're oftentimes in the middle of a rooftop because we don't require line of sight. So imagine in a square mile area, there's 20 or so sensors, someone fires a gun, that pop, boom, or bang will emanate out and it'll hit each sensor at a slightly different time. When at least three sensors can detect and timestamp that pop, boom, or bang, we'll get three different timestamps from sensors in three different locations. Mm-hmm. And this is the brilliance of the Dr. Uh, Bob invention is using that location and that timestamp to do a mathematical equation that says, ah, okay. So oftentimes when you see the war movies in there in a submarine mm-hmm. and they have the radar person with the headphones on, they're looking at this sonar thing and they're sending pings out. And based on the time when that ping comes back, they can say, ah, okay, that thing that worried about is in this location moving at this speed. So they're basically using math to figure that out. We're doing the same. Although on a sonar, they're doing it in the water. Here in a city detecting gunfire, we're doing it acoustically. What are some of the obstacles that you've come across related to the technology? Yeah, so maybe I should go on and just describe the process a little bit further. So we have the incident after we get the time, the relative time time stamps of three or more sensors. Then we go through a classification process. So the only thing we know at this point in time is there's something that has a sharp, impulsive sound that we can determine a location for. That creates an incident. Now we need to analyze the incident to confirm that that incident is actually a gunshot or not. So the machine will take the first step of doing that classification work. And there's a lot of machine learning that we have developed over the years that you're using fancy algorithms that says, okay, that pop, boom, or bang from a machine point of view is likely to be a gunshot or likely not to be a gunshot. Hmm. If it's the latter, we kill it. If it's possible gunshot or likely to be a gunshot, it then goes a second process, which is a human review process where we have people in an incident review center that we staff and maintain 24-7, 365 days a year, where we'll have people with headphones on, just like what I have, 
looking at and listening at these alerts as they're coming in on a real-time basis, and those humans are making the final determination if it's a gunshot or not. If they make the determination that it is a gunshot, they'll essentially push a button and publish that alert, and that alert then will show up in a police department, typically in a 911 dispatch center, and also to individual's patrol car, and it'll basically be a dot on a map. So people are familiar with using Waze or Google Maps or whatever. Imagine a Google Map and imagine something go ping, and then you look at it and there'll be a dot on it, and then the dot will have a circle around it. It'll have our 25-meter accuracy halo around it, and that's the location that the officer should respond to. That's where we're thinking that gunshot happened. And there'll also be some metadata descriptions around, okay, this was a three-round event or a four-round event. We have the option to have the officer listen to the event because we're taking a very small recording snippet of it as well, which is very interesting from an officer uh, safety point of view where they can know exactly what they're stepping into. And this whole process that I'm describing from the time the triggers pull to the time the alert shows up in that dispatch center and or to that patrol officer's car or handheld mobile device is within 30 to 45 seconds. So this is a game changer. So we talked earlier about the fact that most urban gunfire goes unreported, 80 to 90%. Um, And I would just ask you the question, have you ever heard of gunfire? I have. Did you call 911? Uh, no, because I, I was the one shooting. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gotten in trouble. Yeah. Shooting rates. Shooting rates. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let me, oh, let yeah, me yeah, clarify. Yeah, yeah. You should definitely clarify <laughs> that. Yeah, there is a shooting range uh, around there. But have you ever heard urban gunfire? Like, No. You, okay. Oftentimes when I ask people that question, um, I said, have you ever heard gunshots? And people that live in certain neighborhoods will oftentimes say, yes, I have. And I ask the question, did you call 911? And there's all kinds of reasons why people don't call 911. You know, they weren't sure of it. B, they don't want to get involved. C, they heard it, but they don't know exactly where it's coming from. So they Mm. think the call is not very valuable. But all that leads to the fact that 80 to 90 percent of gunfire goes unreported, which means there's no police response, which means there's no deterrent to the very few shooters that are driving most of the gun crime problem. They can shoot the gun and nine times out of 10, no one's going to show up. And then the other one out of 10 times where they do show up, they show up to the wrong place because they don't have a specific location to go to. Now, we completely change that with our technology because we are 100% of the time putting a very precise dot on the map within 30 to 45 seconds of the gun being fired. So that changes everything in terms of how police can respond to those events and show a community that they care because... On the inverse side, let's take East Palo Alto versus Atherton. Mm -hmm. I can assure you, if a gun's fired in Atherton, police are going to show up 100% of the time. Those of your audience who might not know what Atherton is, Atherton is probably where the CEO of Facebook and very rich people live. (laughs) East Palo Alto is probably a place where I would have grown up if I lived on the peninsula, right, for more working class people. So, Wow, that's... That's unacceptable. I mean, I think we should have the same reaction to guns being fired anywhere. And that gets back to your earlier question, too, about our uh, reaction to uh, mass shooting events versus a mass shooting event that happens cumulatively every day across Baltimore, Philadelphia, Chicago, and the like. We have a different reaction when there's a mass shooting that takes place where guns aren't supposed to be fired versus, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 people being shot and killed in Chicago in one night, as an example. How do you try and combat that where it has become the norm for certain neighborhoods, what can you do? Well, I feel like our company is on a mission to do just that, to change the conversation that we're having around gun violence with these real insights and data 
that says, A, guns are fired an incredible number of times in very relatively contained areas that don't always necessarily result in a homicide or a gunshot wound victim. The vast majority of these incidents are not called in, which means there's no police response, which means that it becomes normalized. How do individuals in these communities that are usually disadvantaged communities, how do they know if something is working or if it's not? Is it that clear for them to know that this technology has been implemented in their neighborhoods? And if it does get implemented, do they have a say in it? Where are those conversations take place? Yeah, so hopefully the community will feel an impact. They should all of a sudden see a very direct and precise response from police in ways that they hadn't seen before. Guns are fired, police show up exactly the way they would if guns were fired in a nice neighborhood because now there's this technology advantage that police departments have that now if they're using the data and responding to these incidents, it shows a level of care and concern that I think is very important. One of the best practices we ask our agency partners to engage in is after they get officers to the dot, if they're not encountering a perpetrator or aiding a victim, after they've interviewed witnesses, maybe recover physical forensic evidence in the form of shell casings and the like, which is really important for downstream investigations, which we could talk about later if you'd like. But then we ask them to just take 10, 15 minutes to knock on people's doors and say something like, hello, I'm Officer Clark, and I'm here because we had a shot spotter activations of three rounds fired in this area. Nothing to worry about. We cleared the scene. I just wanted to check in to see if you're okay. Mm. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to serve and protect and really kind of get huge departments on the mission of serving and protecting. And unfortunately, I think a lot of attitudes feel like police need to be policing entire communities, right? They don't need to police communities. They need to serve communities. You need to police criminals, not communities. Mm. And so that's, that's a bit of the transformation that we try to engage in when we deploy ShotSpotter. We also believe it's very important that communities have input into the process and that they're valuing ShotSpotter because at the end of the day, if the technology is not perceived or seen to be valuable to the community, it kind of defeats our purpose. Because ultimately, the biggest lever in public safety outcomes for any neighborhood or community is the community itself, mm-hmm. working with and trusting the law enforcement agency and partnering with the law enforcement agency. If they're not trusting or see police as legitimate in their eyes, you can have short-term impact on violence, but you can't have long-term impact. You've got to have the community buy-in to be successful long-term. Has there been certain perceptions you've come across with communities that you would have never thought you would encounter about your technology? It's a great question. The thing that surprised me the most is the resistance that I'll call passive aggressive as resistance we have with a number of police departments that prefer not to be accountable to address the issue of gun violence. In a way, they kind of prefer not to know in (laughs) some ways. That's not everybody, but there's been a few incidents where we've um, encountered situations where, hey, look, this technology comes. I believe that you're telling me 80 to 90 percent of gun violence goes unreported. Ultimately, if it's not really resulting in homicides or gunshot wound victims, I'm not sure I care about it that much. Mm. You know what I mean? I like And now what I probably don't want is the accountability to say, all of a sudden have this data that says, okay, guns are fired all these times in these <laughs> communities. Then you start begging the question of, okay, well, what are you doing about it, police department? And we just have a few police departments that would rather not 
be in a have to deal with that to, to deal with that to answer that question. I wanted to know a bit more about the response time from police. Has that improved? Yeah, to a response time of maybe a minute or two. And here's what that minute can buy you. Sometimes, not frequently, but sometimes you actually can catch perpetrators in the act of firing their gun. There have been incidents where people are still standing around firing their gun. There's been more times, in fact, where you're able to get to a victim. So maybe the shooter has left the scene, but the victim is still lying there bleeding out. And being able to get that victim to a trauma care facility, an extra three to five minutes can make the difference between that person living or dying. So that's hugely impactful. Getting there quickly and precisely allows you to interview witnesses with full context about what took place. You're not guessing about whether a gun is fired or not. You're, you know that three rounds were fired and they were found there. So that changes everything in terms of how you interact with potential witnesses at the scene. There's also the ability to more frequently recover shell casings. And this is the thing I wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really important because when you can collect the shell casings and you do that over time in a particular city, you can develop a pattern because those shell casings are basically fingerprinting the gun that was used. And when you can identify a gun's been used here, 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 and here, that changes your investigative process because that gun typically is being fired by that individual who's hmm. disproportionately responsible for all the gunfire. This is not an issue of hundreds of people engaged in gun violence. This is an issue of a handful of people engaged in gun violence in a city that's creating a very, very big problem. So the more you can do to get to scenes to be able to investigate, recover physical forensic evidence, interview witnesses and the like, the more quickly you're able to identify that serial shooter that's driving most of the gun violence problem. The evidentiary value of the system is really, really important too, because now you maybe make an arrest and you want to develop a strong prosecution package, being able to say, these three rounds were fired here, here's the sound or acoustics of that in a package, and then have expert witness testimony be able to show up in a court case is extremely powerful. In fact, a lot of our prosecutors are able to have enhanced plea bargain roles because the defense doesn't want to go to trial. Or wow. Because you're bringing that kind of evidentiary data, including the acoustics in these situations, which can be super impactful. Over time, you can see very interesting patterns. Uh, you might be able to see both time and location about where guns are being fired most frequently. You have your top five streets, right? Okay. Hmm. And street they corners. have street corners in time, too. It's just not street corners, but street corners between the hours of Thursday, 8 p.m. and Saturday, 2 a.m., right? Or very specific windows. So now that allows you to take your limited policing resources and engage them in a way that can hopefully be more preventative. What's the impact so far for ShotSpotter? How many cities? Can you walk us through a little of those numbers? We're deployed in about 100 cities. Most of the cities are in the U.S. We do have a few international deployments, including one in the Bahamas and one in Cape Town, South Africa. We're looking wow. to expand our business in uh, Latin America with a focus on uh, four countries in Latin America, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, and Panama. Hmm. We should easily be in 300 plus cities. And in the short to medium term, we have plans to grow to another 100 cities and have impact cumulatively to 200 cities here in the U.S. What can you foresee you would be able to provide as you accumulate more and more data on all these different locations? Because I believe you would be able to have access to all of it. So one of the things I, I'm a big believer in 
is on a monthly basis that an agency become very transparent with the data and in partnership go to these communities where guns are being fired in less than 20% of the time calls are being made to go to a church meeting and say, hey, I'm Officer Clark or I'm Captain Clark here and I'm gonna you know, present our shot spotter data to you. So in this particular precinct or neighborhood, we had guns fired these many times. I only got 10% 911 calls. Community, mm. we have to do better together. We need more of your help. Now, the fact is the 911 call typically is not helpful in many ways from a, you know, hey, I saw a gunshot. It happened here. It's more typically around, hey, I heard gunshots. You know, we need a response. Even with ShotSpotter, getting those calls are important because what it is, it's a measure of, I would say, community sentiment and engagement and how they view police. Hmm. So it's really interesting, case in point, where I grew up and where I live now, right? I can tell you the neighborhood I live in now, there's just a presumption that police are there to serve me. My neighbors <laughs> have that view. It's like, well, hmm. police are here to serve me. That's what they do. They're here to serve and protect me. Where I grew up, the perception isn't that the police are here to serve and protect me. There's a fear of police. There is a delegitimizing of police mm. in the eyes of the community and that, hey, I don't trust the police, sadly. And it's because, you know, police aren't showing up when I need them, but then they're showing up when I don't need them. When you have community trust and legitimacy, your ability to solve crimes and close cases goes up exponentially. What are some major obstacles you're dealing with right now that you're trying to find uh, solutions for? Apathy and normalization. The friction point for us is that generally, and it's just not police departments, but it's broader society. And we can see how we react to mass shootings versus urban shootings. And it's like, okay, it's kind of not okay over here. To some degree, it's okay over there, right? And that's the thing that we have to change. That's the thing that we have to say, hey, look, Guns being fired anywhere is not okay, and it even doesn't necessarily have to be about a homicide or gunshot wound victim, because the other thing I want to talk about is when guns are fired in a concentrated, persistent way in communities, there's a lot of emotional trauma that takes place from kids that are having to grow up in these areas that, although they might not show up as a statistic in terms of a homicide or GSW, they are emotionally and psychologically damaged because of the constant fear of potentially getting shot because you're going to bed to the sound of gunfire or waking up to the sound of gunfire. For our fans listening to this right now who say that's incredible, I wonder if that technology is in my neighborhood or I wish I had that technology in my neighborhood, what can they do? Yeah, I mean, they should talk to their elected officials and they should talk to their police department and demand, again, not necessarily a technology solution. I think they have to demand the more fundamental aspect of, hey, we have a gun violence problem and we believe that there are other things that we could be doing to have that issue be addressed. And we're demanding of our elected officials and our police department to do more. And here go some ideas about what to do more. But I I wouldn't ask people to go lobby, quote unquote, for ShotSpotter, because I think it's more fundamental than that. They have to lobby for police departments to serve and protect them. And if they do that, ShotSpotter is going to be an obvious choice, I think, for many police departments, along with other things, too. Because, again, it's just not about ShotSpotter. It's about uh, changing the way we view gun violence in urban settings versus non-urban settings. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciate it. 
Be sure to visit gettingtheirpodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world-pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtheirpodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtheirpodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.